It's good to be together. If you're a guest, thank you for being here. If you'd like to be open your Bibles, we will not have slides tonight. The scriptures will be very easy to turn to, and I encourage you to do that. Grab a Bible. If you're sitting next to a pew Bible and the person beside you doesn't have one, hand the Bible you're close to to them. We're studying the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. And the pew Bibles will begin somewhere around page 34. It'll be on Genesis, the 35th chapter. And we'll look forward to that time of studying God's Word together. What a wonderful, wonderful Sunday we had last Sunday with the Scholarship Sunday as our young men led worship and two of our young ladies taught the ladies' Bible class. And we are appreciative of those individuals and the commitment that they have made to learning the Word of God in college and the commitment that they're making to invest their life now so that they can better even serve God in the future. Of course, we have several other college students that teach classes and preach when they're called upon, and we appreciate all of them. We also appreciate our young men that are in high school that are participating in what we are calling now the circuit riders, and that's the young men that go around to the area congregation on Sunday night and lead their worship service. And we have young men that preach, that lead singing, read scripture, prayers, and whatever else that is needed of them. And we appreciate them so much. We also appreciate our young soldiers starting in second grade and also our young ladies that are serving Christ. And that is a program that they've been working on for several weeks. And some of them just in this past week and some even this week will be teaching, will be preaching, will be leading songs, scriptures, prayers. And they already, the ones that have participated in this have done a tremendous job. The reports continue to come back in. If we could, all of you that are participating in young soldiers or young ladies, how about if you stand up and just let us see who you are. We appreciate you so much. And they're scattered all throughout. And uh, we really, really appreciate it. Thank you. You can be seated. We want to continue to encourage you as long as you live, find your place in God's body to serve. With this kind of participation, it excites us about the future, but these young people are part of the Lord's church today, and we are so thankful for what they're doing in the Lord's kingdom. Also, within four weeks, we'll start with our high school age of individuals that want to learn how to teach even better. Some will learn how to teach for the first time. Others will want to learn uh, to teach in a better way than what they've learned in past years. And we call this program High Step. And they will be coming in for four or five weeks into a classroom where they will study the scriptures to learn how to become a better teacher. And then they will go out for the next four weeks into the Bible classes and they will teach for those four weeks. And we're so thankful for the many, many ways that our young people are willing to serve God. What a difference it makes in our congregation. We're thankful that the group from CYC is back home safely and for the great weekend that they had. And we're thankful for Philip and Laura and all the work that they do on a continual basis with our youth. We also want to inform or remind, whichever is appropriate for you, that Recovery Through Christ continues to meet on Friday evenings at 7 o'clock, and we just continue to hear so much good uh, from this work. But we also want to especially emphasize to you that very soon a First Steps program is going to begin on Tuesday evenings, and I believe that's at 7 o'clock also. And so if you have interest in enrolling in a First Step program, Uh, That will be beginning soon, and there are some openings right now, and we want to encourage you, if that will help you, 
If you are tired of having bad habits that you can't get past, hang-ups that continually trip you up, or maybe addictions that you feel like if you don't do something, it's going to be a part of the rest of your life. Now's the time to do something. Thank God that we have people in this congregation that want to help us grow closer to God and be more likened to His Son's image. We are so thankful uh, for Tim Martin and the work that he has done in writing the curriculum that we have just started and we will continue through this quarter. Several of you have made comments about how much you appreciate the booklet uh, that has been written. And Tim wrote that booklet, and the second half of that booklet is literally being written right now. And it is a tremendous study right out of the Word of God of our responsibility of shepherds and becoming our brother's keeper. And as I urge you this morning, be praying about that. And please, you've got a booklet Take some time to study through that and really try to figure out what is God's will for you in your life. We're also thankful for the plan from the beginning, is as it's entitled. And Tim Martin wrote that too. And it's to encourage us to study our Bible every day or at least every week, depending on how you choose to do that study. We want to take a lesson tonight out of that particular study that's coming up this week. We know that the Wednesday night Bible class that is also going through this is a tremendous class, great attendance, great participation, great teaching that Tim is doing. And we're thankful for that. And that's not to step on the toes of that class as we study this tonight, but it's to look at a tremendous example. And if if anything is repetitious, we learn in education that repetitious is very good. If I could... Could you give me just a little more mic? And I'm going to back down a little bit. I'm about to lose my voice. You'd probably like that, wouldn't you? And the study through the Bible, we're looking this week at the life of Joseph. In the 35th chapter, we begin parts of the life of Joseph here. Sometimes you hear preachers talk about from rags to riches, from the pit to the palace. And when you turn on the television and you hear individuals preach the prosperity gospel, if you just serve God, you'll get rich. Those individuals love to teach about Joseph. They love to use those phrases. You too can go from rags. You can go to riches. You too can go from a pit and you can go to a palace. Let me tell you something. I don't believe for one moment that this great story of Joseph that takes up so many chapters throughout the last part of the first book in the Bible was placed in there because God wants to tell you how you can become physically and financially rich upon this earth. Joseph is not a study about how to become financially rich. Joseph is a study how to be spiritually rich. Joseph is an amazing example throughout all scriptures. As a matter of fact, if we were going to take and say, let's rank the characters in the scriptures that are some of the elite, some of the greatest characters that we read about in the stories in all of the Bible, Joseph would have to rank at the very top. It's rare to read so many chapters about one individual, and yet you see hardly anything wrong with this individual. What God gave us the the study of Joseph for was to help us to see how to be men and women of great character. How we can be individuals that are faithful in times of trials and hardships. How to be faithful when you are wearing rags. And how to be faithful 
when you have riches. How to be faithful when you're in a pit. And how to be faithful when you're in a palace. That's why we have this great, great writing from Moses giving us Genesis, giving us the story of Joseph. Joseph's life doesn't start out so well, at least by our standards. Here's a young man in in Genesis, the 35th chapter. We read about his mother, Rachel, who was the favored wife. She finally is able to have a son. Joseph is his name. He's the 10th, the 11th son born. And then the 12th son is born, the second of Rachel's. And she dies in childbirth. So early on in the story of Joseph, we realize that this little boy doesn't have a mother. When we go to Genesis, the 37th chapter, we see that he doesn't have a mother, but he's loved, if we could say it this way, he's loved too much by his father. You see in verse 2, he's 17 years old. But you see in verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he gave him the coat of many colors, and of course Joseph wore it, but the problem with that was in verse 4, the brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, so they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So here's a young man that all he's trying to do is grow up in life. He's trying to serve God in life. Can you imagine how that young man sometimes sat around and thought, I wish I had a mother. I wish I had brothers that loved me. I wish I could just understand, why does my father show favoritism toward a wife? Why does my father show favoritism toward two sons? I just wish I had a father that got it. I wish I had a father that didn't create this difficult situation. Listen, if you're tempted in your life to sit around and make excuses, a study of the book of Genesis would be very healthy for you. Because what we find in the book of Genesis is we find people that have messy lives. But yet with Joseph, we see him being faithful throughout it all. So his brothers hated him. He revealed the dream that he had that that his sheaf was going to rise up and all their sheaves were going to bow down. He even told them about the dream that, that all the sun, the moon, the stars were going to bow down to him. And the brothers hated him even more. So later on in this same chapter, the 37th chapter, he was sent out to look for his brothers and to check upon them. They were out tending for sheep. And when he came up to them in 19, they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. They decided they would kill him. But then they decided, No, we won't kill him. Well, Reuben wanted to make sure they preserved his life, so they threw him into a pit. Then the Ishmaelites come along, and you see there in verse 28, toward the end of it, they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. We probably have some 17-year-olds here tonight. How would you feel? Would you be shaking a fist at God? Where are you, God? If you love me, where are you? If you love me, why don't I have a mama? If you love me, why don't I have a daddy that's reasonable? If you love me, why don't I have brothers that like me? 
If you love me, God, why did I end up in a pit? Why am I now sold into slavery? As we studied last Sunday night, there's not going to be a year of jubilee for the Egyptians. He's going to be a slave, it appears, for the rest of his life. Listen, brethren. Our faith isn't true faith until it's tested and tried in the fire and we are found faithful. So was he shaking his fist? Was he screaming out? Was he rebelling? In Genesis 39, he sold as a slave to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh in verse 1 of the 39th chapter. In verse 2, we know that the Lord was with him. But in verse 3, we see what Joseph's attitude was. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hands. Joseph conducted himself as a servant and a slave in such a way that a stranger could look at him and say, there's something about that man. That young man has devoted his life to his God. That young man, it appears that his God is blessing his life. We're not talking about a young man that grew up in a perfect home, in a perfect environment, and everything was going well, and we all stand by, and we applaud him and say, isn't that wonderful to have such young people like that? We're talking about a man who found faithfulness at 17 years of age when life just wasn't easy. And what about us at 27 and 37 and 47 and 67 and 77 and 87? Can we even walk in the footsteps of this 17-year-old? And so we see a great example of faith. It wasn't only faith in the difficult times, but it was also faith in the temptation with the fleshly times. You know, this morning we talked about whether or not we were going to let Christ reign our mind and our mind reign our flesh. He is a perfect example of this. You remember perhaps the story. If not, you've got your Bible open there, the 39th chapter. You remember that he was placed in verse 4 to oversee Potiphar's house and everything in that house was under his oversight except for, for Potiphar's wife. And we have something revealed to us that God felt like we needed to know to understand this story better. And at the end of verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I guess I'm safe to say, if we were to say that today, we would say, that guy is ripped and he is good looking. Honestly, I don't say that about many guys. But that's how God describes him. This guy in form, in other words, the shape of his physical makeup was something that was attractive and then just the sheer fact of his beauty. He was a handsome man. And so Potiphar's wife wants to become a mistress to him. What's he going to do? She asked him once. She asked him twice. She begins to ask him on a regular basis. And his answer in verse 8 is, I can't because of my master. Listen, brethren, we owe to do what is right to mankind as well as to God. 
And that's what Joseph's answer is. I can't do this because I have a responsibility to my fellow man. And one of my fellow men is your husband. But number two, I can't do this because, verse 9, the end of it. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Were you here this morning? You remember what the law of God does? It convicts us. It tells us and makes sin appear to be sin. And remember the second part? Remember it makes sin exceedingly sinful? Notice, he didn't try to make excuses of how maybe this will be okay. Well, after all, I work for her husband and and she's kind of like a master to me and I, I guess it's going to be okay. Notice, he looked at this wickedness and he said, it is exceedingly sinful. I cannot do this great wickedness. What do we know? Right there, what do we know? We know that Joseph knew the law of God. He knew it because he was convicted that this was a great wickedness. No excuses. Sin appears to be sin. This would be a great wickedness. Why do you think we have this story recorded in Genesis? God wants us to see a faithful young man in times of trial, but he wants us to see a faithful young man in the times of fleshly temptation. And this young man would go to prison before he would commit fornication. And that's what he does. He goes into prison, and there, you remember, he interprets the dream of the baker and the butler, and the butler was supposed to remember him, but he forgot him. What did Joseph do? Shake a fist at God again? Curse mankind? No. No. He just continued living for God. And finally, when he was remembered, it was the time that Pharaoh needed him the most and the time that it worked into God's plan. No coincidence there, is it? He interprets Pharaoh's dream. He gives God the credit for all of this. And you remember in that interpretation, he reveals the fact that there's going to be a seven year of plenty and a seven year of famine. That's going to preserve the life not only of Egypt, but it's going to preserve the life of Joseph's very own family. When this is revealed, Pharaoh is so impressed, and this just goes to show us again the character of this man. Look, if you will, over the 41st chapter. The 41st chapter. I'd like for you to notice what Pharaoh's response is at this point. Pharaoh said to his servants, let's turn to the 41st chapter and let's look at verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. Isn't it amazing that whenever he was a slave for Potiphar, immediately Potiphar realized there's something about this man and his God. When he was thrown into prison, the keeper of the prison even realized there's something about this man and his God. And now he stands before Pharaoh. And what does Pharaoh say? There's something about this man and God. No one can have the wisdom that this man has. Brethren, when's the last time I spent a few days with someone and immediately their result is this person and their God, an amazing combination. What a convicting story. What an encouraging story. What a story to set out as a challenge to say, 
I want to be more like Joseph. Now he's 30 years old. We've covered 13 years of his life. And look how he and God have worked together through what were difficult times. But it was always Joseph staying with God to God's glory. Now there's a lot to the next part of this story that I'm just going to say in a couple of sentences and we're going to close with the forgiveness that he offers to his brothers. Do you remember how the famine came? And two years into the famine, his brothers came and they were desperately in need of grain. He recognized them. They didn't recognize him. And there's quite an exchange of various things. And finally, he can't hold it back any longer. And he has to reveal himself. And it wasn't an easy day for Joseph. Look at the 45th. I'm talking about emotionally. It wasn't an easy day. Look at the 45th chapter. The 45th chapter, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. In other words, I think what he's talking about when he's restrained, it's not like he was about to lose his cool and, and, and do something that was wrong. He's talking about his emotions here. He, he was about to lose it. As a matter of fact, he's going to lose it. And, and, uh, and he cried out, make everyone get out from here. And what he means by that is if, if you're an Egyptian, I want you out of here. I want only, they didn't know it this time, but I want only my brothers to stay in here. And so he quickly, he's about to lose it. And you can imagine the emotion boiling. You can imagine him getting everybody out. And then, then look, so no one stood with him. The rest of verse 1, while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. They're not in the room with him. But they can hear this man crying They can hear this man revealing himself. There's so much that's tied up to this moment. Friends, this isn't just a point in time. This is the emotions of a young man that's been trying to deal with this in some way. And now all of these emotions have been pent up. And now you can imagine the tears. You can imagine how he probably just crumbled to the ground. You can imagine how he's so glad to be able to say, my family, my family. Even though these were the brothers that put him here, these were the brothers that hated him, he is still so thankful. And he tries to comfort them in five. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you and the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. His father dies. By the time we get to the 50th chapter. And the brother's fear is that the only reason Joseph has been nice to them was because the father was alive. So the brothers get real antsy. Now that daddy's gone, he's second in control of Egypt. He's going to annihilate us. We are in trouble. And instead of them being in trouble... He again comforts them in the 50th chapter in verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me. 
But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones and be comforted then. And he spoke kindly to them. Joseph was a man who in great hardships remained faithful. In the temptations that dealt with the flesh, he remained faithful. And when it came time to forgive the men that had hurt him the most, he remained faithful even in forgiveness. Notice what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not saying no wrong has been committed. He said to them, you meant it for evil. They had done wrong. He knew it and they knew it. So forgiveness wasn't saying no foul here. Second, forgiveness is not making excuses. Hey, guys... We're all brothers here, and we know that our dad kind of messed all of us up. Let's just face it. We had a bad environment at home. No. Excuses does not make forgiveness. Also, forgiveness is not taking blame for something you're not guilty of. He didn't say, hey, guys, it's all my fault. I just shouldn't have worn that coat. Daddy gave it to me and I should have just thrown it away. And when I had dreams, I just shouldn't have said them to you. What is forgiveness? If it's not those things, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is saying, I want to stop the pain. I'm not going to seek vengeance. I want to do what's right and best. And I'll let God take care of the judging. Is there anybody in your life that you need to forgive? Isn't it time to stop the pain? Isn't it time to stop trying to wear God's shoes and think, I'm going to make them pay? And isn't it time to just learn from Joseph? You remember we talked at the very beginning. This annual reading plan is about the plan from the beginning. It's not a coincidence or a happenstance that in the very first book of the Bible, one of the greatest examples of forgiveness is taught to us in detail using many chapters to make the point clear. Listen to me. If you are ever going to be godly, God-like, we have to get a handle on forgiveness. There's no such thing as being like God and holding grudges and trying to punish and wanting to put people in their place. Forgiveness is one of the most beautiful things God has ever offered you and I. And he says you can't have it if you can't learn to give it. Simon Wessenthal lost 89 relatives 
in Hitler's prison camps. He survived. And he spent most of the rest of his adult life tracking down criminals of war. And when he was older in life, he had brought several to justice. But someone said to him, when's enough enough? Why do you keep doing this? By this time, he is trying to track down 70 and 80 year old men for crimes that they did against the Jews 50 years ago. And so the question was just asked to him, when's it going to stop? When are you ever going to find peace? And so to answer that question, he wrote a book. And in the book, he tells why he is on his mission. He talks about the day that he was in a prison camp and he was on work detail and he was called off of the work detail and he was taken to a building and taken up the back steps of a dark, narrow steps into a room up top, escorted by a nurse to a figure that was lying in a bed, almost dead, wrapped with bandages all around their face. It was a German soldier. His name was Carl. He simply began speaking. He told of growing up in a Nazi home. He told of his hatred for the Jews. He told about the atrocities over and over of being on the front lines and what they did. He told stories like this. I remember going into one town and we gathered up every Jew in that entire town and we marched them into this huge wooden building and we locked the doors and we burnt them. And I was one of the leading men, he said. Wessenthal couldn't figure out why he was having to endure this. And finally, he got up to leave. And the soldier begged him, please stay, I'm not finished. He would sit back down. A little bit later, he'd get up to leave. And the soldier would beg him, don't stay. And finally, after two hours, this soldier got the courage to tell him why he called him into the room. He said, I asked the nurse, are there any Jews alive? And she said, there was. I asked her to bring one. And you're here. I know you don't know me, and I don't know you, but I know you're a Jew, and that's enough for me. I'm about to die in a few minutes, and I want to die in peace. I'm begging you, will you forgive me for all I've done to Jews? And Wessenthal looked him in the eyes. For a long time. In silence. And finally. He turned around and walked out. So the man would never find his peace in death. And then he found 32 individuals that were either rabbis. Christian theologians or secular philosophers. And he went to every one of them and he told Carl's story in his story and he told about when their lives came together that day and he looked at every one of them and he said, 
what would you have done? And 26 of those individuals said, I would have done exactly what you did. Only six individuals told him, God would expect you to forgive. Brethren, when we talk about forgiveness, we don't talk about an easy topic. If you'll remember, I know you do, but I just want to remind you. When you talk about forgiveness, you have to look at Christ on the cross. That's what it costs to forgive. It costs a lot of sacrifice. It costs a lot to do things good and sacrificial for people that have hurt us. But are we ever more like our God than when we forgive? That's why many scholars say that Joseph is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. His life of high character and his devotion to forgiveness is something that we all can learn from. Tonight, None of us have attained. But hopefully we're all on a pattern of growth. And if there's anything that we can help you with this evening, take a step closer to God to be more like our son, his son, and that we truly can be his children. If you want to be immersed in Christ or you want to come back and realign your life with Christ, however we can help you, please come as we stand and as we sing.